Today is October 20th, 2022, and we're going to discuss the corporatization of junior volleyball and if it's actually a good thing for the future of junior volleyball or maybe not so good. Uh, we're going to discuss that. First, I'd like to take a look back at just the history of, of the junior volleyball and the sport of junior volleyball. And it dates back to the late 1970s. AAU uh, actually was the first organization to hold a junior national championship in the late 1970s. I think it was held maybe in Pennsylvania. Uh, moved to Illinois shortly afterwards. And then USA Volleyball, which at the time was called USVBA, they followed shortly after, I think in 1980, and ran their first junior national championship. Back in the day, there were three divisions. They were called 13s, 15s, and 17s, which now we would call 14s, 16s, and 18s. And AU actually had a collegiate division, which they called their 19s division, and it was open to primarily collegiate freshmen and sophomores. And uh, that continued for uh, well over a decade into the 1990s. In the mid-1980s, uh, the Volleyball Festival became the third national event uh, to start holding a year-end championship. It was founded in California, and I think it was founded maybe at around 1984 because the, the junior national championships that year were held in Rhode Island, and a lot of the California teams didn't want to travel 3,000 miles to go to uh, the junior national championship when at that point, at that time in, in the history of junior volleyball, so many of the top teams were in California. Uh, so I think what happened was the a group of people and club directors and, and individuals who had an interest in maybe having a tournament closer to home, got together, and they started the Davis Festival. I think maybe 1984 was maybe the first year, 1985. It was a USAV-sanctioned tournament, although it directly competed directly with the USA Volleyball National Championships, Junior National Championships, pretty much every year. And the Davis Festival was big. I mean, if, you, if you've been around volleyball for a long time, you probably remember it had almost 1,000 teams. Back when 1,000 teams was a huge tournament. Uh, generally, the national championships and the AAU championships would be, you know, two, three, maybe 400 teams. And, uh, you know, the Davis Festival was close to 1,000 teams. And it was very popular for clubs on the West Coast because there was no qualification that was required. And you could take your entire club to a year-end event with great competition. So it was really popular. Uh, in, in 1979, I think is when the, year, the first year that the AU championships moved to Illinois. And they were held at uh, Illinois Benedictine College, which is now called Benedictine University in Lyle. And they were held at also surrounding facilities around there. And that was a very popular tournament in the mid with the Midwest teams because, again, there was no qualification, and it was a year-end event that uh, some teams attended both tournaments. Uh, some of the Illinois and Midwest teams would go to USAV championships, and then they, they would also go to the AAU championships. And at that time, the USA Volleyball Championships were, again, called the USVBA at the time were held before the AAU championships were held. So um, I remember actually finishing uh, in the finals at the 17 Open at the 1983 USA Championships, getting on a red-eye plate and playing and coming back the next day and starting the AAU championships. We played, I think we played eight days in a row. So those three-year events were pretty much the status quo up until the mid-1990s. Uh, in, in, in 1995, the AAU left Illinois, and it went to a couple of other sites for a couple of years. But then in 1997, uh, AAU relocated their nas junior national championship to Orlando, uh, and they partnered with Disney. And at that point in time, Disney owned the Disney Wide World of Sports. It's now called the ESPN Wide World of Sports. But the first national AAU national championships that were held in Orlando, Florida, were held at the Disney Wide World of Sports. And so that was the evolution from 
from AAU moving to from Illinois to Florida at the time. Then in 2007, uh, the JVDA came along, and now you you probably know the JVDA as the JVA, uh, but it was formed in, t- in in the fall of 2006 and 2007. And when the JVA was formed, it started to give clubs a, a chance to act as independent business entities because the JVA wasn't locked into any set national organization. You didn't have to be an individual member of the JVA to play in their events. And it wasn't specifically tied to the AAU or USA Volleyball. And they, they actually held their own national championship for two years in 2008 and 2009 in Louisville, Kentucky, and had you know a good a, a great turnout and also had a very competitive event. So at that point in time, the JVA National Championship was the, the third national championship along with AAU and USA Volleyball. And the Davis Festival was was kind of, I think it had moved to Reno at the time and it wasn't nearly as popular as it was earlier. Um, but one of the things that happened was that the formation of the JVA, more than anything else, started this this movement for clubs to have the ability to they could purchase events insurance without having to be a member of any national organization. It opened the door for clubs to primarily operate as independent businesses that were not controlled by larger national organizations. And you know that that went on. And again, I, as I mentioned, J- the JVA held two national championships, 2008 and 2009. And then in 2010, the JVA partnered with AAU to support AAU's year-end championship in Orlando. And from that point on, the landscape of junior volleyball started to change actually pretty dramatically. Teams no longer needed to qualify to attend a large year-end tournament and to play against high-quality competition. And if you follow junior volleyball, you know that the AAU tournament has just exploded over the years. And in that, this last summer in 2022, there were over 4,000 teams, boys and girls teams, that attended the AAU championship in Orlando, which is a huge tournament. And also during the 15-year the growth period from you know the mid Two thousands to now, there's been a tremendous growth in the number of junior volleyball clubs in the country, as well as clubs who have you know started, built, moved into, opened their own facilities. And you know this growth period created hundreds of small businesses whose service was junior volleyball. And by 2022, junior volleyball looked virtually like nothing it had in the early 1980s. From the 1980s to the 2006 year, uh, prior to the JVA being founded, USA Volleyball had pretty much ruled junior volleyball with an iron hand. It was basically a monopoly that all clubs had to answer to if they wanted to exist in the sport of junior volleyball in one, one way or the other. That's pretty much all changed. There's so many small businesses now, which are volleyball clubs, working each day to keep their gyms full, their clubs solvent, and making the daily decisions that allow their businesses to grow and prosper. And I think without required, you know, being aligned, without being required to be aligned to any single national organization. That's kind of the history, the backdrop of, of junior volleyball and what this podcast is about. But the key is what's the future of junior volleyball? And while nobody knows, the one thing that uh, we're going to take a guess at here, or take a swing at is like, you know, maybe where are we headed? And generally, if you look hard enough, you can find some answers. And Unless you've been living under a rock, you're pretty aware that in the past year, large, well-financed corporations have started coming into junior volleyball, and they've started buying top volleyball clubs in the country. And, you know, without going into names, you probably know a lot of clubs who I'm talking about. And they're paying top dollar. I mean, you know, top dollar, you know. And I think the reasoning behind this is pretty simple and actually a pretty solid business strategy. It does have some downside, which we'll touch on a little bit later. But right now, let's just kind of stay focused on the junior landscape and maybe what it's going to look like moving forward over the next three to five years in, in the short term. 
And I, I think the first thing that's going to happen is there's going to be a formation of alliances and, and bundling between clubs that are going to be under the same corporate umbrella. That only makes sense that that's going to happen because they're all going to support each other because they basically play on the same team now. This is going to create demand and buying power for certain tournaments. It's going to create uh, buying power for apparel uh, contracts based on scale, which means you can you can probably barter or uh, bargain your apparel prices down if you're part of one of these large organizations, maybe or maybe not. Or you may have to buy apparel from certain certain sponsors of these organizations. And again, th- that's going to be a decision that probably is going to be further uh, magnified as, as we get down the road. But I think you're already seeing this. If you look at the at, at, at advanced event systems, AES, look, start looking at the, co- the tournaments around the country, and certain people are running a series of events. And what you see is you see the corporations that have, are running these events. You see clubs that have been purchased by these corporations. They're trending towards the same events to support these events because now they're all under that same corporate umbrella. And I think another thing that is probably likely to happen is that junior volleyball community is going to be more fractionalized. It's going to be more tribal in a sense as a groups of clubs, you know, they form alliances and they uh, provide their teams and players with the best experience possible. And whether it's a sport like junior volleyball or some other type of small business, it all comes back to the customer service and where the customers choose to spend their money. And I think you're going to see that going forward. I think some people are going to see this trend as, you know, the end of junior volleyball as we know it, but I'm not sure that's how it should, we should be looking at it. I, I kind of view it as the beginning of the end of a long transition. We're starting in the 1980s. A much smaller group of clubs were under the umbrella of primarily a single organization, which in a sense was a monopoly. While those clubs were funded and controlled by their owners and membership, it was dependent on the same people for survival. They had very little freedom when it came to actual actually running their own businesses as they saw fit. They were told when they could start practice. They had to get a sanction to run a tournament at their facility. They were often told how much they could charge for a tournament or how much they could charge for spectators at the door, regardless of what the cost was that they might be incurring to run their businesses. So there were a lot of shackles put on junior volleyball clubs for a long time by the regions and the national offices of these big or these big associations uh, who wanted to control them. And I think one of the things that... <clears throat> was always and you know we fought this in our region as well but one of the things that nobody ever realized was that the only reason that these organizations existed was because of the clubs without the clubs and without the membership of the clubs there would be no national organization there'd be no regional organization and I think for a long time that the feeling was not reciprocated back so I think that's one of the things that you look at and that model is slowly dying it's being replaced by a model where much of the business now is in junior volleyball is done directly between clubs and pure business-to-business relationships. And clubs have found out that when they work together with each other, a lot of times they can be more efficient. Sometimes it's less expensive and then, than what happened in the past. And I think this model is going to look a lot different than, it, than the old model did, which was pretty much three decades old. It might ultimately provide more opportunities, and it might take out the politics in a lot of the areas of junior volleyball. I mean, if another organization such as Three Step, which has been on buying clubs up left and right, or Love Volleyball, which has also been on a club buying spree, wants to get into the tournament business, including a year-end national event, is that a bad thing? Or will it force AAU, JVA, USAV to do a better job of going after your business? And isn't that a good thing if that's the case? Because, as I just mentioned, the only reason these organizations exist is by your dollars. And they want your dollars, but the only reason they exist is by your dollars. 
And since you're the customer, I mean, at all points as a customer, you want the person trying to provide a service or a product to you to work as hard for your business as possible. I think that's one of the key things. And I think also there's, you know, there's going to be some potential downside. I mentioned that earlier. And uh, with these corporations coming in, they're buying junior volleyball clubs. And buying a junior volleyball club is not like buying a commodity like oil or silver or gold or a manufactured product like an iPhone or, a, a, you know, a, a computer or something like that. I think it's a lot different. And there's, there's a lot of things that make up a successful volleyball club. And I think it remains to be seen what an elite club will look like once the leadership that created so much value of that club is maybe no longer involved. Or let's say the management style and practices of a strictly for-profit corporation but heads with maybe what we would call a family-first environment that many clubs have embraced. So at what point as a club does, for term, a better term, does big brother dictate what you charge, how you charge, how you relate, how you respond, how you react to the issues and problems within your club if they ultimately own the club? And I guess that's going to be, you know, that's going to be uh, determined probably later on. We're going to see how that plays itself out. But there clearly are potential downsides to that. And I think there's nothing wrong with making money. But the one, the one question that you ask is, does the, does the great service a club provide that leads to a profit still exist when profit is the number one motivator over service? And I think that remains to be seen because, you know, a corporation, a corporation who has, owns a volleyball club, they have to rely on that club or the club ownership to provide that service. And, you know, is the, is the desire and the need to provide a great service the same when it's not your own baby as it is when somebody else owns it and you're just working for somebody else? And again, because coaching and, you know, cl- the club leadership stuff, it, there's so much passion and so much, you know, so much love involved in it as opposed to just you're just doing it for the money. I mean, it's, it's impossible to be a great coach for the money. Uh, it's impossible to do it just for the money. And I think, you know, a lot of club directors and coaches are the same same way so I I do think there are going to be challenges going forward and I think there's going to be challenges also in in the bigger aspect of the junior volleyball community Um, maybe youth sports in general but I'm just going to kind of dial in right now in the junior volleyball community and I think first and foremost the U.S. economy is in trouble and you know potentially big trouble Bloomberg just stated and you know several CEOs and corporations have basically said the same thing, that there's a 100% chance that we're going to be going into a recession in this coming year. And, you know, inflation right now is very high, which means that people are going to have less money to spend on non-essential costs such as junior volleyball. Uh, the stock market is down significantly over the past two years. It, it's, it's taken a big hit, and, and trillions of dollars have evaporated from individuals' net worths, from their 401Ks, also from the 529 college funds that they started for their kids, uh, that are tied to the stock market. I mean, I know when our son was young, we had a 529 plan. It was invested in the market, and, you know, the market did great. And so his college fund, you know, grew leaps and bounds. But, you know, when you've saved for years for your kids to go to college, not counting on a guaranteed scholarship, and you look up and a lot of that money is gone, you know, the money that might be spent for club volleyball, <clears throat> which you don't know if you're going to get a scholarship or not, it might be better putting that money into, uh, you know, that 529 plan as a market rebounds or, or savings account or something to save money. So I think the, I think the economy is, is going to have an effect on junior volleyball. And, and again, I've been doing this for 40 years, and, you know, we've rode out every single recession and upswing and downswing in the market. But 
it just feels a little bit different this time, maybe because, you know, there's so many people are affected by it because there are so many people who have been heavy in the market for so long and the market's done so well and it's been hit really hard right now. And inflation is, is, is real. High gas prices are real. High food prices are real. High travel prices are real. Those are not going to change. So, you know, one of the things that you do as a club director, as a coach, is you think about how does this affect me and what I do? That's just, I think that's one of the things that we're going to see. I think another challenge that you're going to see in junior volleyball over the next decade or two is going to be recruiting. And recruiting is, is the ability for your players who want to play at the collegiate level and also who have the ability to play at the collegiate level in some way, shape, or form. I mean, whether it's a junior college or NAIA or Division three, Division two, or Division one. I think the landscape of recruiting is going to change. I think one of the things that we have to look at is we have to look at the landscape of events. I mean, there's so many events right now. There's also so many clubs who have opened their own facilities that need to run events, even if they're small events, to try to keep their doors open. It's, it's a necessity to keep the business functioning the right way. And we can't pretend that you know the, the landscape of the the tournament landscape that was what it was 10 or 15 years ago is the same going forward. I mean, look at President's Day, look at MLK, look at almost every weekend in March and April, and there are multiple events and, and good size events at different places. So I think the days that you're going to go off to a tournament and every college coach is going to be there, I think those you know you're rolling the dice on that. And so one of the things that I know we when we were at Sports Performance. Uh, we recently installed, you know, before I left, we recently installed a 12 streaming camera system on every court. And not only for events, but for a lot of other things, too. So we can have our kids basically have, have access. We have access to every practice that's videotaped and, and stored. But one of the things that you're going to have to realize is that video going forward is going to be a really, really big deal. And I'm not talking about a kid shooting a skills tape, but I'm talking about the ability to video or stream your practices, the ability to maybe put your teams in position training once a week and, you know, have those those practices streamed. Uh, probably have your kids wear their jerseys to practice if you're going to stream, so it's pretty easy to have a club roster and find out who's who. But one of the things that you're going to have to realize is that, that you know, coaches are always going to want to see kids play in person, but if you want to get interest right away, if I'm a college coach and, and a great video comes across my desk, you know, and somebody looks great on, on a high, even on a highlight film, I'm going to want more information on that player. I'm going to find a way to maybe either get to a practice or find a way to get to a tournament where that person's playing. But one of the things as a club director is you want to give access to every college in the country. You want to give them access to your gym. You want to give them access to your courts. And, you know, if they can do it from the luxury of their own desk at work in their own office as opposed to, you know, spending a thousand dollars to come watch a practice. If they spent, you know, even if you charge for video or if you charge for a streaming service, you know, think about, you know, you, if you paid five or $10 even a day to watch 150 kids in practice, what would it, it have cost you to come to practice? And so I think that's going to be a, a lot like football. That's going to be the future of volleyball for clubs who really want to promote and expose their kids. I mean, Another thing is think about as a club director how costly it is to get out to all these different events, play in all these events, get on airplanes, get on, you know, do all this stuff. It costs a lot of money. I mean, you know, it costs a lot of money. And if you can get your kids exposed and noticed, then the tournaments that you do go to where college coaches are at, then more coaches will know who those kids are when you get there. I mean, you guys know this as well as I do, that college coaches don't go shopping at tournaments. I mean, what they do is they – 
you know, they know who they're going to look at when they go there. And, and, you know, the division coaches, you know, I think they really blew it when they changed their recruiting window. They eliminated the Martin Luther King weekend. They eliminated Memorial Day weekend. And in the past, you know, MLK, President's Day, and Memorial Day were the big three. I mean, those were three three-day weekends. They were perfect to get out. Coaches could kind of spread themselves out and go to, you know, they could spread them and their staffs out. And now it's the big one because MLK is before the during the dead period before the recruiting window opens, and Memorial Day is closed. And so I think it's one of the things that it didn't it didn't help us as club directors. It didn't help the kids who were looking to try to get seen by college coaches. It really compressed their competition schedule down. Where more and more now they have to play a lot of tournaments in March, April to try to get seen. But you know that's going to have diminishing effects on players. It's going to it's going to beat the kids up more. It's going to create more overuse injuries. It's going to do all the things that college coaches say they don't want to see in the junior volleyball community. And one of the ways you can get around that is you can get around that by being by embracing and being much more aggressive with what you do with your video. And I'm I'm a big believer that if you have a great training environment in your own gym and you do a lot of things in your own gym that are done the right way. You can get your kids seen and noticed, and then college coaches, if they know who they are, they're going to find a way to get to see them. They just have to know who they are to start with. So I think it's one of the things that you have to look at. Um, you know, I think about, again, I talked about streaming your practices, streaming position practices, um, you know, having your kids wear their jerseys so you know, uh, you know, coaches can come online, they can watch an entire practice. Even if it's somebody they already know, but they want to see that kid practice, most college coaches would tell you they would rather watch a practice than watch a, a tournament because they watch your work ethic for two or three hours. They can also record the practice and come back and look at it later. So I think there's a lot of benefit there. Um, another trend that I think is troublesome, and most people don't think about this, but there are less children being born in the United States, <laughs> and that's just a fact. And for a sport like junior volleyball, which depends on a steady supply of young athletes to continue to grow the sport, this is a troubling sign. And currently, population de demographics show that in the five-year age ranges between 10 and 14 years of age, there are just under 10.5 million girls and just under 11 million boys in the United States. But those numbers drop quite a bit when you look at the ages, that five-year gap of zero to four years of age. And the zero to four, that, that five-year window, of these, these are kids that have just been born in the last five years. There's 1.25 million less girls than are in that 10 to 14 age range and there are 1.35 million less boys. So over between the boys and the girls, there's about 2.6 million less young kids, four and under, under five basically, than there are 10 to 14. And you know, those 2.6 million kids, a lot of them were gonna be athletes, a lot of them were gonna play high school sports and junior sports. A lot of those girls probably would have played volleyball, some of those boys would have played volleyball. So you're looking at a smaller talent base. I mean. How significant? It's, you know, I think it's, you know, we'll see long term. But, you know, this kind of goes to also the, the growth of volleyball because we've looked at volleyball. Volleyball has had a stepward uptick, steady uptick for the last, you know, 20 years. And it, it actually grew last year. It's the only top 10 high school sport that grew. All the other top high school sports decreased in participation. Uh, and overall, high school sports participation is down 4% from 2019 to 2022. And I think clubs need to prepare for the, the day, you know, the flattening of the curve, you might say, uh, and potentially a decrease in volleyball participation because the numbers over the next 10 to 15 years 
probably aren't going to get better. They're not going to have, you're going to have fewer females, which we just discussed, and who are going to be entering the school system. And, you know, that's just going to, that's going to be happening over the next decade. So it's one of the things to think about that there's probably not a never ending supply of talent. And so how we run our businesses and the things that we do in our businesses are going to be really, really important and how we manage and retain talent, you know, the kind of programs we offer, you know, uh, you know, one of the things that you think about as a business owner is that anybody who wants to do business, business with you potentially is a customer. And so how do you handle your customer base? What do you do with your customer base? How does it go from there? So I think these are, you know, this is my um, opinion on, you know, my glimpse into the future, you know, and again, uh, we don't know what's going to happen, but the one thing we can do is we can look hard at the data points and see if we think it's going to happen. I think, I think one thing that's for sure is that the junior landscape is changing rapidly. I think everybody believes that. And it, it's probably too soon to tell what the changes are going to be, if they're going to be for the better. But there's going to be a lot of them. And I think the next three to five years are going to be really interesting. And it's going to be a pretty wild ride, and we need to hang on. So I want to wish all of you the very best, and uh, good luck to you guys. I know you're starting, getting ready to start up for the club season. And, again, wishing everybody the absolute best. Thank you.